Lord, we're so thankful that you never change, Lord. Uh, you stay the same. You're, you're the constant in our life, Lord. You're the foundation, the rock that we stand on, Lord. You've given us your word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. You've given us the power, the equip, equipping of your Holy Spirit, Lord, not just sealing us to call us home, Lord, as your sons and daughters, Lord, but you've given us another experience, God. It's, it's the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in the things you've asked us to, to walk in and to do the things you've called us to do, Lord. We need that strength, Lord. We ask you for, a, for that strength today, Lord, to be moms and dads, husbands and wives, God, to be representatives, your ambassadors, not just here to one another, Lord. It's so easy as we walk through these doors, Lord, to, to be encouraged and to try to encourage each other. But when we leave here, it can be so discouraging and we feel weak. God, we need your strength. We need your power. And just pray for that, uh, for this upcoming week, for each and every one of us. Pray for this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would have an ear to hear what you would say to us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So last week, we saw one of the low points in Israel's history. They're asking for a king, right? Uh, it's always been God's design that it was a theocracy, that he would rule, he would reign, that he would be their king. And they're asking for a king. They want a monarchy now. And, you know, God told Samuel, listen, warn them about their choice, what it's going to look like to have a monarchy, how they're going to take your sons, your daughters, your land, your money, your time. Your, just they're, He is going to take, 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 take from you. Warn them. And at the end, we saw last week, they're like, we don't care. We want a king. Like all the other nations, we want to be like them when they were supposed to be separate, right? They were supposed to be separate, but they want to be like the world. They want to be like the rest of the world. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. God wants to give his children good gifts. Right? Any good mom or dad wants to give their kids good gifts. Right? You want to give your kids gifts. Right, not you know, and it's not always money. It's it's sometimes it's time, but we want to give our kids gifts. Well, God's no different, and He knows the good and the perfect gifts. Sometimes you know, my kids will ask me for something, and I'm like, no, that's not a good gift. That's not what I want to give you, right? But I love my kid, my kids. But God is a perfect Father, right? And He knows He can see the future, right? Sometimes I give my kids things. You know, a phone is one of them. You know, you give your kids a gift and you wish, oh, why? Wish I could take that back. Right? That was not a good and perfect gift. Right? Just zaps their time, their mind, their energy, just so much stuff that, that, that you know, but I'm not a perfect father. But sometimes God gives us what we ask for, and that's what Saul, we're, gonna, we're, we're introduced to Saul here and how God grabs this guy and puts him in position as the first king 
of Israel. And, and God gives this nation Saul to teach him a lesson, I think. Right? Sometimes we have to do that. And so it says here in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. This guy had wealth, influence. That was his family heritage, this guy Kish. And it says that he had a choice son, choice and handsome son, whose name was Saul. And there was not more a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Man, this was the guy. He had the image. There wasn't anyone more handsome. There, I mean, this guy is a foot taller than everyone else in the country. This guy had everything that the people were looking for. Image, prestige, power, wealth. He came from a, a, a family of influence. And that's really what they're looking for. They're looking for image. They don't care about heart condition. They don't care what they're looking for this guy, right? And it's, and it's to their advantage because they're, they're, they're fighting these other nations who have giants, right? And they're thinking, well, we need a giant. We need this guy who's taller than anyone. And he's the most handsome guy. He's got it all. He's got the resume, right? And we're going to see in the next chapter when, they, when, when, when Samuel introduces a man, the whole nation is chanting, oh, Saul, he's our man. This is the guy we want. He's all we're looking for. But we'll see it's very short-lived. And, and even though, and we're going to read it in the next chapter, chapter 10, God gives Saul everything he would need to be a good king, to be a good leader. He's going to fill him with his Holy Spirit. Actually, he's going to say that he changes him into a new man. He makes him a different guy. But by the time we get to chapter 15, Saul's got major failure. He starts out okay. We're going to see some great qualities today, some character in this guy. But by the time we get to chapter 15, man, God says, nope, no more. I have to remove you. It's over. And then we'll see in chapter 16, Samuel, God tells Samuel, hey, you got to anoint another guy, a man after my own heart. And he goes to the house of Jesse. I probably shared this with you guys before. He goes to the house of Jesse, and Eliab, the oldest son, comes out. I think it was Eliab. He comes out, and there he is. You know, exactly look like Saul, a tall, handsome, muscular. He had it all together. And Samuel's like, all right, there's the next king. And God's like, no, 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 no. Man doesn't see as God sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God is so concerned with the heart. He looks on the inside of a person. He's so concerned with what's going on in here, right? Because that's what matters, right? You can be anyone. You can be anything to anyone here at a different time, and that's what Saul would do. He would change depending on the company. When he's with Samuel, oh, man, I'm doing everything right, Samuel. 
when he's around the, the people or when there's a temptation, he's there. He'll conjure up, you know, demons at, at, at one point here. This guy goes sideways, uh, but he, he starts off on the right foot. And it says this in verse 3, and this is what God does. He uses these circumstances. Saul doesn't see it yet. But it says, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please, take one of the servants with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, through the land of Shalisha, but they didn't find him. And they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but did not find them. And when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease worrying about his donkeys and become worried about us. You know, good, good character in this guy. How many people here can tell their kids, go do this, and they just go do it? Right? Hey, go clean your room. What? Kidding me? Just cleaned it two weeks ago. Right? How, I mean, his dad's just, hey, Saul. The donkeys are gone, and those are valuable. It's like owning a truck or a tractor in those days. Hey, we're missing them. And if you own several, you know, you're wealthy. And he says, hey, can you go get them? Yeah, absolutely, Dad, right? So very commendable. Something I want to take note of, too, in verse 5. Saul has this understanding, and hopefully our kids know this. Saul has the understanding, hey, wait a second. We've been looking for these donkeys for a while. We better get back because my dad is going to say, heck with the donkeys, where's my son? Where's my kids? Hopefully your kids know that, that you care more about them than money, than work. I got to make one more dollar. I got to watch one more reel. I got to do one more. Hold on. Yeah, we can talk in a minute, but I'm busy and you're scrolling through Facebook. Your kids want, do they know that you're, that they're more important than stuff that you own or have? Do they know you care? Because Saul knew that. He grew up in a house where he was more important than a car or a vehicle or a tractor or stuff, right? Super important that our kids know that they're more, more valuable than things that we own or have. So what we're going to see is, as this unfolds, is God uses inconveniences. God uses different things we go through, troubles, difficulties, situations in our life that are like, oh, are you kidding me? Is that even possible that I ran out of gas? How could we have a flat tire? How could I... What do you mean you forgot that at the store? Go get, you know, all these little inconveniences God uses. But Saul is not going to know it yet until we get to the end of this chapter. And actually in chapter 10, there's, Saul needs more confirmation. Samuel's going to say, hey, go meet. You're going to meet this person. They're going to have this much bread, meat. They're going to have this. And it's going to blow Saul's mind. What? And then you're going to meet prophets. You're going to, and, and. But right now, all he's thinking of is there's some donkeys, and i got to go find them. But we're going to find out in Samuel's ear, God whispers, says, hey, my king's coming to this town tomorrow. It's going to happen. I'm bringing him. 
And God uses circumstances that way. Inconveniences, whether it's a flat, you know, a few years ago, you know, I stop at yard sales sometimes. It's been a while, but we used to, we used to stop at different yard sales, me and my wife. And we were driving through Mount Morris, and I saw a yard sale. Oh, let's just stop, hon. Fine, let's do it. And I pull over, run in, and there's a guy that I know from years ago. He's like, yeah, what are you looking for? What's what? I go, I'm looking for you. Why don't you come to church tomorrow? He's like, what? Yeah, I'm just, you know, and just me thinking I'm, I'm going to go buy some. There's a good deal, you know, initially. And it turns into this conversation with a guy who is now he's, he, he does all of, refs all of our basketball games. He comes to church. Uh, man, I'm just praying for him. Just care about the guy. And, and so just interesting things that, that we're interested in or we forget or an inconvenience. God just uses that to put you right in the right position to talk to someone or to be around someone. And there's two problems with that. One thing, there's two extremes. One extreme is that everything has significance, right? We ran out of coffee, so God's trying to tell me I need to wake up more. You're not, you know, you're sleeping, right? Like everything mattered. Oh, we slipped on the road, and God's trying to tell me, oh, my goodness, you're going to have a fall and, and, you know, watch out for your future. It's like everything means something. Or you can go to the other end of the spectrum and nothing means anything. Like there's no significance with stopping at a yard sale. Oh my goodness, there's a guy. I remember uh, years ago just praying and just asking God about his love. And Lord, you know, it, it wasn't, wasn't, there was no, nothing disqualifying that I was going through in my life, but it was early in the ministry and I was discouraged. I wanted to be a good pastor, good dad, good husband, just... Lord, and I see flaws and failures in my life, you know. Like I said, nothing disqualifying, just, just being a, uh, you know, a guy, whatever. And I just remember uh, Leah was at a retreat, and I was driving down the road, and Lydia was just little. We had just had Lydia. She was probably three. And I'm driving down the road, and I, I, was, I was, went through Geneseo and down the dip to 390 there, right by 390, and, and I was just praying about God's love and his heart uh, and, and just asking him. And Lydia woke up out of a dead sleep and started singing, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Or the Bible tells me so. But, but what she sings is the part is she wakes up out of a dead sleep and says, yes, Jesus loves you. And I was like, what? I go, what'd you say? I, I said, what'd you say? And she cashed right back out of sleep. Like, she's asleep. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> so I took that from the Lord. Like, but I don't, you know, we know God loves us. We know he cares. He showed it. He displayed it on the cross. But sometimes it's good. He sends a person. He reminds us. It's so important. Like, not everything means something, but stuff like that means something. A, a stop at a yard sale. I remember... Ten years later now, fast forward, I'm just, you know, uh, I can't remember where Leah was. I think another retreat. And I brought three of my kids, Joshua, uh, Mariah, and Rebecca, were fishing on a friend of ours land uh, in, in uh, oh, on the river, Rod Graham. And I'm, I'm, you know, we didn't catch a single thing. Talk about, like, the... You know, all the, you know, Peter, James, and John, they're out fish all night, didn't catch any. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? 
But I thought, you know what I can do? I can find a heart-shaped rock for Leah. Just to tell her I love her, you know. So if you've ever been on a riverbed, you guys have probably been there, and there's rocks everywhere. Just how deep full of rocks. So I'm looking and I'm talking to the Lord about his love and, and same kind of conversation, but you know, not, not necessarily struggling, but just like just asking him, talking to him about his love. And I'm looking for heart-shaped rocks. And we found a couple, and, and actually, we, you know, Leah put them in her garden, you know, kind of cool. You guys have found Anyone look for heart-shaped rocks before? Kind of cool, right? So I find a rock. I don't know why I picked it up. I picked up this rock, right? It does not look like a heart, does it? Does anyone see a heart in that thing? And it's laying on the ground, and I picked it up, and I turned it over, and it literally has a heart, like, sandblasted in it. Like, there's a heart in this thing. Pretty wild. If you want to see it, you can after service. Um, pretty amazing. I was like, what the world? Who put this here? Like, we're in some random, uh, I don't know. It was pretty amazing. So sometimes God uses different things to get our attention, to remind us of a, a truth that's already there, right? And God is, is going to get Saul's attention. We're going to find out he's not a real spiritual guy. He's, he's not a real spiritual guy. He grew up in Israel. You might say, oh, he grew up in the church or whatever, but he's not a spiritual guy. In fact, the servant that he's with is more spiritual than him, right? I tell you, important, <clears throat> something important. Let me take a drink for you guys. Sorry. It's important to know God's will for your life. The Bible says, the Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And what's that mean? Right? That we're supposed to step out in faith all the time. If it's hard, let's do it. Or if it's if it's difficult or you know, if it's a miracle, that's what we need to do. The Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight. But then it also says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's our foundation, right? That's what we're to walk by, faith. Because the devil, all the way through the Bible, starting right in Genesis, wants to lie to you, wants to give you a counterfeit, wants to tell you something, that God is holding some blessing back from you, right? Oh, that tree, that one tree I can't eat, Oh, yeah, that's the best tree. God, God's holding it back from you, Eve. If you tasted that, you'd be, oh, you'd be blown away. But God doesn't love you enough to give you that tree. That's what he's keeping from you, right? Would lie. It's a lie, right? We need to know God's word. It's so important because his will is found in God's word. I wrote this down. Every man of faith that we read about in the Bible was led by God's word. Every man of faith. And where they went wrong, every mistake that was made is because they quit listening. When someone quit listening to God's word, quit being obedient, that's when they went south. That's when their, their life went sideways. It doesn't mean, you know, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. A lot of times, if God's starting to move you or stir you or tell you to do something, 
You'll have, let the peace of God rule in your heart. It's where we get our word umpire. Like, let the spirit make the calls. Right? Ball, strike, you know. That starts there. Sometimes God stirs your heart to do something, to go somewhere, to be a part of a work or a ministry or change jobs or do something. All right, it starts there. And the peace of God rules in your heart. Number one, it's never, ever, God is never going to tell you to do something that goes against this. It's already written. Your will, God's will for your life is found in his word. Right? If God's telling you, if you think God's telling you to do something outside of, your, outside of God's word, trust me, it's not him. It's not him. Very important that we know that as Christians. I brought my Bible here. I'm reading a New King James Version, but I've got a Bible that's old, that's I've had forever. And, and I was just looking through it this morning, and things I wrote about the church, you know, these are kind of my Ebenezer's, the Ebenezer stone that we read about, a rock of remembrance. When God called us to start this church, we had a lot of people say, oh man, you guys should start the church, start the church. We're like, uh-uh, we're not going to start it until I, it's in our hearts, it's already stirring there, we're going to do it, but we're not going to start it until God tells us to. He gives us a scripture in his word, and then we're going to, then I can, when tough times come, troubles, trivia, you know, different things in the ministry, we can go right back to that Ebenezer and say, no, God told me to do it. I can endure what I'm going through because God told me to do it. Same thing, my calling as a pastor. God gave me tons of scriptures. Good thing. Because a lot of times I want to go back fishing, right? We joke about that. And I go back, Lord, this is what you've called me to what you've asked in my life. And those are our Ebenezer stones. That's what God might be stirring you for something, to do something. But it's always going to be found in his word. It's the foundation for your life, for my life, to move forward. Okay? So God is using, so not everything, my point is, not everything is just circumstantial. If your life is all about circumstance and coincidence and, and it's not grounded and founded in the Bible, you're going to be, all over the map. Oh, well, I met this person today. Oh, I did this today. Well, I ran into this person today at the gas station. I was like, what? Where are you going? Right? But God does lead sometimes, and, and it's going to be confirmed. We're going to find out in the word of God. Samuel's going to tell him the word. God whispers into Samuel's ear some very important things. So verse 6, it says this, And he said unto him, Look now, and look at, look at how Samuel's described by this guy, by this servant. Look now, there's in the city a man of God. He's a man of God. He's honorable, and he's truthful. Everything that he says comes to pass. Let's go there. Perhaps he can show us the way where we should go, right? Isn't that important as a believer? The Bible says we're ambassadors that we're honest people, that we have integrity. Is that what people say about you? Very important that we're honorable, truthful. That was Samuel's reputation. 
And, and it's not, Saul isn't saying this, his servant's telling him. Saul's not a real spiritual guy, right? God is going to meet with him. This is going to be a divine appointment. And, and Saul said to his servant, and listen how messed up this is. This is more talking about our, our testimony, our, our, our witness to the world. Saul says to his servant, you know, you know, almost like a fortune teller. He says, Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels all gone, and there's no present to bring him, bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here a hand, uh, 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 in hand one-fourth shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, and this is a parenthetical, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. But look at their idea of a prophet or a man of God, man, he needs money, right? And isn't that so often the view that people have of the church and Christians and pa- they're just looking for money, right? And it, you know what it came from when you, when you back up a couple chapters, right? Eli's sons, they were ripping off the people. And then even Samuel's sons were ripping off the people, Right? says this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we can mark this down, but there were also false prophets among the people. There were, and it says, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, truths, teachings, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth, because of that, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And it says this, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Listen, people want to take it, and it's true. You turn on the TV sometimes or you go to different, and all they want to do is get in your wallet, to get in your pocket. We decide, you know, when we first started the church, we were like, we're never, ever going to pass the plate, take an offering. In fact, you know, I remember that was the last thing uh, we made here at the church. We're like, we opened the church and we're like, wait a second, should we have a tithe box? You think people would... All right, well, and I made it, literally, and we still have it in the foyer. I made it in about seven minutes with a circular saw and plywood, and I put it together. I thought, maybe people put money in it. I don't know, right? That's a form of worship, but we said, we're, we're never. People have to ask us, hey, we want to give something. We're, we're, you know, and obviously we have tithe boxes, but early on, this weird, you know, and we still have it. We're not asking for money. It's, n- it's nothing we'd ever do. We're not going to do it. We're not going to ask for money, right? That's part of the, you know, philosophy of ministry at Calvary Chapel. It's not, you know, you see it in the Bible, but there's no scripture. Where God guides, he provides. Lord, we're just going to start a church. If you want us to have a church, maybe we're wrong. You provide, right? And he always has. He always has. 
But they have this distorted view, like to get the answer from this guy, we got to give him money, right? And it's that, that association is so wrong, right? And it says this in verse 10. Yes, you want to read it? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up to the hill, to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water. And they said to him, is the seer here? And you can imagine, and I think Josephus comments on that. He's a Jewish historian in Jesus' day who goes all the way back and comments on Jewish history, says that these women were super flustered. They wanted to talk to Saul because he was so handsome and, and big and strong and whatever. And so they answer him. And they said, yes, there he is, just ahead of you, Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And as soon as you come to the city, you will, you'll surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless, he must pray, right, for the sacrifice before this meal. And afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up. For about this time, you'll find them. So they went up to the city, and as they were coming to the city, there was Samuel. They don't know him. And coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Listen, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, just for a second. Romans chapter 8, if you're not familiar with Romans chapter 8, great chapter in the Bible. Super important. Lots of great verses in there. Encouragement. But it says this in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Your King James says vanity. Emptiness is what it means. The creation is subject to emptiness, not willingly, they didn't plan it, but God planned it. But because of him who subjected it in hope, everyone here is looking for a donkey. Everyone here is looking for something because there's something missing. There's emptiness, there's vanity, there's futility in your life. Everyone here, and for those of you who are Christians, you found it. That's the hope that verse 20 is talking about. They're subject to vanity. Not willingly. It wasn't their plan. It was God's plan. That there's a, a, we talk about it all the time, that there's a void in your heart, something you're missing. But God is the only hope. He's what's going to fill that void. That's it. They find their donkeys. That's not going to make them happy. You finding the next thing in your life, that's not it. You grab it, oh, finally, I got that new car, that house, or that job, or that, you know, and you shove it in there, it doesn't fit, because that's not the hope you're looking for. It's eternal. It's eternal, right? They're looking for these donkeys, but God's got a bigger plan for this guy. He thinks he's looking for donkeys, but Samuel's waiting for him to tell him some great news. 
And that's all of our lives. Something is missing. Now, the Lord told Samuel in his ear, amazing, uh, told Samuel, it literally means in those days, you know, they'd wear a headdress. People in the Middle East, they wear them today. It means to remove that and to listen so you can hear better. The Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Isn't it amazing these guys are in rebellion and God is listening to them? Right? You think God doesn't hear your prayer? He does. He does. And he's walking him step by step. We don't have time to look at it, but if you, you, know, you can make note of Acts chapter 10, how what God did with Peter. He's at the house of Simon the Tanner. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Cornelius is having a vision. He has something on his heart. And God says, go send three men to Simon the Tanner's house. And at the same time, Peter's like hungry. Oh, dude, I could eat right now. And all of a sudden, God, this big sheet came down from heaven with all these unclean animals and Peter's like I've never eaten anything unclean like pig, pork and you know and God's like hey what I call clean don't call unclean and he, and he does that three times I believe shows him what's in this sheet and, and then Peter wakes up probably grabs a bite to eat then these men show up hey you got to come with us what oh yeah okay he goes to this Gentile's house who the Jews thought was unclean and this family gets saved, and it's little by little, step by step. God is leading people, wanting us to walk in obedience, right? And step by step, just being obedient. And what you see here is uh, a couple spiritual gifts, and, and we don't have time to turn there, but it, it, you guys probably know this. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, very famous 1 Corinthians 13, we call it kind of the love chapter, right? And then 14, describe a lot of the spiritual gifts. Well, some of the gifts that Samuel is telling, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is, is something that you wouldn't know unless God told you. The only way to know it is if God told you what's coming. And then the word of wisdom is how to work through a problem, a situation. And a lot of the, those gifts that Samuel has, a lot of them, you know, people get if you're, if you're counseling, if that's your gift, God gives you the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge to try to walk through something that's difficult. But if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, a lot of the gifts, most of the gifts are kind of named there, right? Um, but what does Paul say the greatest gift is? Love. It's what the church needs. It's what Jesus said. All men will know you're my disciples by the love you have. Right? It's what the church needs. People want to, I want to speak in tongues. I want to prophesy. I want, they, everyone wants a gift so the finger's pointed at you. What an amazing guy. Boy, you got the gift of this. No, Jesus, or Paul said the greatest gift, if you want a gift, seek after spiritual gifts. And the Spirit in chapter 12 says, give severally to each man as the Spirit wills. It says, you want spiritual gifts, seek after them, but the, the, the greatest one is love. If you want a gift, if you're asking God, God, what's my gift? Pray for that gift. Lord, I want to be loving. I want to be like you. Right? Lots of gifts out there. Most valuable is love. 
So it says, verse 17, so when Samuel saw Saul, tongue twister, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate, and he said, please tell me where the seer's house is. Right? Doesn't know that God made their paths cross right there. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go, and I'll tell you all that's in your heart. Right? I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. But as for your donkeys, verse 20, that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them, for they have been found. And then he says this, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and your father's house? And Saul would know, and we know from the next verse, Saul would know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about, because that's the talk of the nation, is we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And he says, listen, the desire of all nation, of the whole nation is on you. And he's like blown away, like, what? On me? And he realizes he's talking about being the next king, the first king. And Saul answered and said, and he sounds like Moses, sounds like Gideon, sounds like Peter. People have excuses. He says, listen, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Listen, I'm, and, and, and so the reality is he started out very humbly. He did start out very humbly. It's another great attribute. He's like, am I not the, and it was true. That tribe got involved, and if you read Judges, I think it's around chapter 20, they got messed up and their tribe got reduced to 600 people. It was a small tribe. They got messed up in sin and their tribe got reduced. They were a small tribe, and he's just thinking, I can't be the king, right? That's what Moses is like, God, who, are, who am I? Who are you? Uh, I got a speech impediment. I can't lead these people, right? Uh, and, and, and sometimes we can be that way, and, it's, and sometimes it's humility. Sometimes it's insecurity, which is not necessarily humility. But he started out humble. You guys don't have to turn, turn there. Uh, I want to read you guys a scripture. says this, talking about pride, because pride's a killer. And then we're going to finish up. Pride is a killer, guys. This is after God sent, you know, Jesus grabbed 70 men and sent them out two by two. And they worked miracles. They healed people. They preached. It says, verse 17 of, of Luke chapter 10, says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Right? This pride is surfacing in their life. Like, look at how God's using me. Lord, even the demons are subject to me. And you'd think Jesus would say, all right, good job, guys. You guys are amazing. Great job. That's not what he says. He didn't say, congratulations, you're amazing. He said to them, listen, guys, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Watch out for pride. That's what Satan, uh, I think it's Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, just talks about the devil, his pride. Like, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to exalt my throne. I'm going to be better than God. I'm better than you. It talks about his beauty and his ability to play on a worship team in heaven. And he says, I'm going to elevate myself. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, I saw the devil cast out like lightning, just like that. He was amazing. And when he thought too much of himself, God said, no, I can't use you. You're getting the glory. People are looking at you. Pride's a killer. And Saul did have a humble beginning. And it says, now Samuel took Saul. And if you keep reading, he says, listen, rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of life. That's what Jesus tells. That, that's the most important thing. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Right? So, verse 22 says, Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and said, sit in the place of honor among these who were invited. And there were about 30 people. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion, portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. It was set apart for the priest or the anointed person, and we're going to see Saul get anointed next week. So the, so the cook took the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul, and Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul, on the top of the house. And, and that's what the houses were built, like the top was like a deck. That's where, that's where Rahab spoke with the spies. You know, that's where Jesus probably talked to Nicodemus. The house was built. And, and wouldn't that be cool? Like the your roof of your house, you go up there at night and it's like this big deck overlooking. It's kind of cool. So that's where he takes them, the top of the house. What did he say? You know, there's a guy in the book of Acts, his name is Barnabas, son of consolation, the son of comfort, son of encouragement. That's who Samuel really is. And, and you probably know people like that. You, you, you're around them, and they don't just dump on you all their problems, all their issues, all their... And that's fine, because we need to pray for each other. Man, there's some guys out there, and, and at the men's... Breakfast yesterday, there was a guy that I hadn't seen in years, and that's just who this guy always is. Like, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm great. How's your family? How's your, you know, what's going on? What can I pray for you? And I just see the guy. If you watch him, you know, he's not making a big spectacle. He just goes from guy to guy, like putting his arm around guys, praying for him, asking them how they're doing. What's up in your life? How are you doing? What a guy, Barnabas. If you look him up in the book of Acts, maybe you know him. He was, that, he was that way to Paul. He was that way to John Mark. He was that way wherever he went. Just a Barnabas. Just a guy, a son of consolation. Just an encourager. And that's probably what Samuel does here. Just takes him up to, on top of the house and encourages him. And they arose early, verse 26. And it was about the draw, dawning of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house saying, Get up, that I that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. He and Samuel. 
And they were going down to the outskirts of the city, and Samuel said to Saul, tell thy servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, he says, but you stand here a while that I might announce to you the word of God. Listen, we're going to close right there, but it's so important for you to be in the word of God. To take a time where, where someone's sent away. Send your servant away. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you about the word of God. I want to remind you what it says. You know, the psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. The only time you're going to do that is if you carve out some time to be still before the Lord. Sit before him. God, what's your will? What's your plan? What's it look like to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, to be a dad, to be an employer, employee? What's it look like to walk in my calling? God, I need to hear you. Should we stay in New York? Should I move to, who wants to go to Florida? Right? Everyone's got negatives, right? Oh, there's spiders down there. Whatever. It's too hot in the summer. God, what do you have for my life? You need to be still. If you're never still, you'll never know. It'll be hard for you to know. You need to sit. That's what Jesus woke up a great while before day. He's God, and he woke up a great while before the day to sit with his father. Don't you think we probably should? Right? To wake up 10 minutes early, 15 minutes early, and say, you know, I could do this, this, and this in that 15 minutes. You're right. Or you could just sit before the Lord with a cup of coffee and your, your Bible and, Lord, speak to me. I got a long day. Tell me what I need to hear today. Right? Super important. Next week, we'll look at Saul's anointing. Lord, we are just so thankful, God, for your word, the instructions of it, the, the truth that's there, God. We just need you so much, Lord. We're thankful that it's your desire that your will isn't a secret, Lord. It's not meant that, that it's hard to comprehend or understand, Lord. You've laid so much of it out for us just in your word as, as we walk as men, as ladies, uh, as dads and moms, Lord. But you want to tell us other things. You want, us to remind us, you want to remind us of your love, your goodness, what you've done for us, Lord, and how to hear from you, God. A relationship is what you want to cultivate. You don't want kids that just go out and work, work, work. That's not why we have kids. Uh, we have kids to have a relationship with, to love, to provide for, to protect. And that's what you do for us. We're, we're thankful, Lord. Uh, we just give you our lives today and ask you, Lord, to remind us of the things that you spoke to us this morning, Jesus, in your name.